0: Across the globe think tanks have played more important role in the energy and climate policy debates since 1990s by examining the newly published reports and talking to the authors from those renowned think tanks and research institutes this podcast helps professionals and researchers to understand how the policy ideas and analysis shape and influence the energy and climate policies around the world if you find our program informative and inspiring Please subscribe to this podcast and share with your colleagues and friends. You may send your comments and questions to us through social media. You can find us on LinkedIn via Energy Transition and Carbon Pricing or Rock Environment and Energy Institute. Welcome to REI's Energy and Climate Podcast. This is Erin from REI, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, Working Group, published its sixth assessment report on August the 9th. The report presents the highest alarming level of a warming world in this century. They were no longer using words such as most likely, but they are certain that our earth is warming. The challenge facing humanity is not to reverse the climate change, but to control the scale of temperature rise and the damage it causes. To avoid a much worse disastrous future of our planet, the report implies that all industries in all nations need to act quicker and more decisively to cut off carbon emissions and to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050 or earlier. The healthcare sector is one of the industries that needs to reduce its emissions. While more frequent extreme weather events generate high pressures towards the reliability and the quality of healthcare services this sector have to fight two battles one improving its climate resilience and two taking actions to reduce its carbon footprint in this episode we present a special conversation on why and how the healthcare sector should pursue a low carbon development By reducing the environmental and climate footprint, interviewed by Beijing Energy Network, REI's co-founder and co-director, Mr. Zhao Ang, introduced the healthcare sector's decarbonization project that REI have been working on since 2014. Zhao Ang also shares some thoughts on sustainability as well as his hero in life. We hope you enjoy this talk. This episode was firstly released at Environment China podcast in 2018. We thank Environment China for the permission to use this episode in REI Energy and Climate podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode.
1: On our show, we're putting the spotlight on the innovative solutions coming forward to address China's environmental challenges. I'm your host, Noah Lerner. Here's something we all understand. The environment and our health are intimately connected. When we pollute the air, or the water, or the soil, we get sick. But what if we look at this relationship between health and our environment from the other way around? Now, this is something that fewer people might know. Our healthcare system has a huge impact on the environment. In the US, for example, the healthcare system is reported to be responsible for 8% of the country's greenhouse gas emissions. And the environmental footprint of the healthcare industry is becoming particularly important in China, a country that is in the midst of a healthcare boom. With an aging population, rising income levels, and supportive government policies, China's healthcare industry is expected to have grown from $400 billion in 2011 to over $1 trillion by 2020. Well, joining us today to discuss how China's healthcare system can be made to work to keep our environment and our climate healthy is Zhao Ang, the director and co-founder of Rock Energy and Environment Institute, or REEI. REEI was founded in China in 2012, with a mission to be an independent think tank in pursuit of justice and sustainability. Before founding REEI, Zhao Ang had previously worked on a range of environmental issues at Green Earth, Green Peace, and Wind Power Intelligence. He holds a master's in environmental policy and regulation from the London School of Economics and Political Science. Welcome to our Ang. Thank you very much. So before we dig into the healthcare sector, I wanted to start with something we dug up online actually before you came here today. In your previous life as a young environmental journalist, you served as a local translator for Bill McKibben when he visited China in the 2000s. Bill McKibben, for those who don't know him, is an environmental journalist who founded 350.org and jumpstarted the college fossil-free divestment movement in the US, which incidentally was also my own entry point into environmental advocacy. Uh, you were telling us that you traveled with Bill to Shanghai, to Inner Mongolia, and to Sichuan. What stands out to you from your time traveling with Bill McKibben?
2: My first impression about that travel goes to Bill McKibben's personality. He is very special, and to me, he's quite quiet, very calm, and very focused on the uh, environment where he visits and where he can feel the second impression is about the places I went to. His chosen about three places across the whole country gave me a very strong and a very mixed uh, feeling about the country, uh, from biodiversity to the uh, land use and to the urbanization. Uh, I think it was a really interesting experience between me and Bill, and we became a good friends later on. Mm. I heard about his initiative, 350, and I think that was a very different pathway that he had already done. It was very advocate a kind of campaign different from the environmental journalism. But I think it's really inspiring because when you want to get out of your comfort zone and want to try something new, you maybe you can refine yourself and maybe to get something done in a very different way. I think that gave me some idea for my career development in the
1: future. And you've come a long way since you were with Bill McKibben working at different organizations and then in 2012 you founded your own environmental think tank. REI is working on a range of topics, but the one we want to talk with you today is about the healthcare system. The idea that healthcare should take pains not to hurt the world, it's not a new one. In fact, I guess starting with the ancient Greeks, doctors have taken the Hippocratic oath to first do no harm. So I guess looking at healthcare sector from a high level, what are the different types of impacts that healthcare can have on the environment?
2: Before I answer this question, I just give a little bit of background about the REI. We covered the energy transition, but from different angles, from social justice, from environmental sustainability, and from public health. So the last one, public health, is the thing we are going to talk tonight. When we talk about the responsibility of the healthcare sector, we have to think about different levels. First one, chemical uses, the very toxic chemicals, for example, the mercury. In hospitals in China, we still use the traditional thermometer to test people's body temperature. That kind of devices are still mainly using mercury. And
1: uh, I assume the problem is what do you do once you want to throw away those thermometers?
2: Yeah, right. And in, in another part of the challenge is medical waste. The health sector generates huge amount of waste every day.
1: What's part of that medical waste?
2: disposable medical devices and like the mercury thermometers and other toxic chemicals. The third one is about carbon emission and we need to think about as a whole we see many bottom-up and voluntary initiatives by different sectors but we haven't seen health sector as a whole doing similar things. We think we need to mobilize and encourage this sector to build up
1: their responsibility and the leadership. Previously you mentioned that REI estimates that China's health sector may be responsible for anywhere of 3 to 5% of the country's CO2 emissions, which given how large China's CO2 emissions is, even 3 to 5% is a huge amount. Help us understand where is where are these emissions coming from?
2: The carbon emission from the health sector mainly come from three parts. The first one is about the energy and resources consumption like electricity, like a gas like a heating uh, system. The second part is about the procurement, because they consume huge and variety of products every day. So the generation of that product uh, consume a lot of energy. And the third one is about all relevant activities. For example, uh, when people come to visit a doctor, they have to travel. And they have to use different transportation ways. If you can design a better transport system, people can use public transportation. But if you don't use that kind of way and people have to use a private car, that also produces indirect energy consumption.
1: So we have direct consumption in a hospital. We have supply chains. Maybe you need all of these different medical devices. Is pharmaceuticals included in... Do we consider that a part of the healthcare yes, system? Yes, the pharmaceutical
2: is included, yeah.
1: And then third, we have thinking more holistically, urban planning. Are we yeah. Can we design cities or can we design a region so that people don't have to travel 100 miles to get to their local healthcare provider? Yeah,
2: it's also very typical in China, particularly in the big cities like in Beijing. The most famous hospitals, they are located in the downtown. And the people, they have to travel a long distance to visit uh, doctors. It's not only for residents in Beijing, but also from all over the country. So, how do we design the locations of the hospitals? How do we allocate the medical facilities and resources? It's also have strong influence on the carbon emission in you know, the uh, health sector.
1: So you said that looking at different industries in China, there has been some progress on reducing energy intensity or increasing energy efficiency but you're saying that you're seeing that healthcare sector has been a little bit slower it seems a bit ironic because the whole point of healthcare system is to make our, ourselves healthier are there any places you're seeing any progress where good hospitals leading the way or is there any policy makers who have started paying attention to this issue
2: i think in the past few years due to efforts from different stakeholders this kind situation has been changing Firstly, from the civil society organization, as a think tank, REI, trying to increase the awareness of this by working with different groups from abroad and also domestic to provide some solutions, give some kind of international exchanges and the best practice from other countries and cities. We need to have very systematic, holistic thinking about the carbon emission of the health sector and uh, about the, the future of the health sector. I remember I got the chance to attend a, a lecture by a health economist uh, from LSE. Uh, he argued that our health sector, health industry has been old fashioned for long in order to meet the demands in the future in terms of the aging population, uh, more environmental influence, even epidemics. So all those kind of things give very strong pressure on the current health sector. Uh, we need to reform and to redesign to some extent the health sector in order to meet that demands. So what RER has done is trying to bring those policy debates from other countries into China and to bring stakeholders on the same table to understand the challenges we are going to
1: face. Yeah, it brings up a lot of things I want to ask. I guess first... This network, REI, is part of, I believe it's the Global Green and Healthy Hospitals Network. Could you tell us about some specific examples of these sort of international practices that you're hoping to bring to China?
2: So the GGHH, Global Green and Health Hospitals, is a global network. It has now more than 10,000 members. Most of them are the hospitals and the health centers. It has built up the China's network, local network, in the past three years now we have nine members, five are hospitals, four other the health-relevant organizations like a policy research centers.
1: Which hospitals is it?
2: We have Ditan Hospital, Huilungguan Hospital, and the Jilin People's Hospital, a second. So uh, i give you some examples. But
1: several of those, are the Ditan, is that in Beijing? Yeah, Ditan yeah. in okay.
2: Beijing, and the Huilongguan is also in Beijing. The network is expanding, but not as quick as we expected. And the Chinese health sector, particularly hospitals, they do still focus on the disease treatments and trying to meet the increasing demands of the patients. And they don't really find out how they should make a big role in addressing climate change. How do they need to address the medical waste? So the awareness is not high but in the past three years has been building up. For example, two years ago, we brought some people to Korea to visit the Yangtze University Hospital System, which is the oldest modern hospital system in the country and also the most respected health provider in the country. And that hospital system under the Yangtze University had done a huge amount of work to renew their hospital system in energy parts, in water supply, even in the building redesign. Uh, We learned that as a hospital, you can do a lot, not only green your service and the building, but also by doing that, you can provide a better treatment and a better service to the hospital's uh, employees, doctors and nurses, and also the patients. And I heard that from the uh, previous administrator of the Yangtze University ho- Hospital system, that Qingdao municipal government wanted to copy the Yangtze University Hospital design. And they just want to 100% copy that hospital in terms of building space, and they got strong support from that university hospital. I think in China, some places, and hospital leadership already realize make the hospital operation greener, more sustainable,
1: really inconsistent with quality improvement. And I guess part of the reform of the healthcare system worldwide, part of it is about being sustainable insofar as not contributing to environmental and climate problems. The other side of it is as you were mentioning earlier, there's a growing pressure and stress on China's healthcare system. And presumably, part of that is going to be related to the impacts of climate change on public health. Are you also working on the sort of resiliency side of the healthcare sector in China?
2: Yes, we do work on that, how to build up the resilience of capacity. We uh, translate the World Bank report called uh, Climate Smart Healthcare Strategy. And this is a hot topic hot dialogue among the global policy discussion. We want to use their report to mobilize some Chinese players, for example, the National Health Research Institute and uh, UN system in China, like WHO, to work together to address the uh, low capacity of the Chinese health sector uh, in facing climate change. So that report gives a framework how health sector can build up their capacity, how to communicate, work together with other policy players and to contribute to the policy making of the energy and the climate change.
1: Can you give us an example of what resilient hospital or a resilient healthcare supply chain might look like? Yeah. Uh, the
2: example is not from China, but it's from the GGH network. So in the Latin America, Puerto Rico, during the hurricane and the natural disaster, there is a, a children's hospital. Because the disaster, the hospital couldn't have the energy supply. But because of the solar PV facilities funded by the American electric car company, the hospital has been very resilient, continue to provide the basic service for children. So I think that's a quite a streamlined example that hospital can think about that kind of challenge by transitioning its energy system from fossil fuel based to the uh, new renewable based. And another example is in India. This about the hospital redesigning. Because in India, in most places, it's so hot in the summertime. But the hospital hasn't done a good designing about the uh, installation and ventilation. They usually put the childbirth uh, service in higher floors, but that's very hot, right? So they they change their rooms to the ground floor, even lower floor, and the death rate of the newborn babies has been reduced in large scale. Wow! So I think we find out many good examples from the GGHH. We want to use that network to help. Uh, members to learn from each other, and particularly from hospitals in the most developed countries.
1: Yeah, it seems like just a very good example of you know the fact we're not all working in silos. We don't need to reinvent the wheel everywhere. Before we wrap, is there any uh, updates you can give us on where's the current policymaking discussion at in China about how to green China's healthcare system? A
2: couple of weeks ago, uh, we attended a workshop. Organized by GGH, China's member called Green Hospital Committee, It's under the China's Association of the Building Energy Efficiency. The workshop was about how to help hospitals to build up their capacity of carbon counting, because in the carbon pilot project in Beijing, hospitals which emit more than five thousand tons of CO2 a year need to join that voluntary platform in order to meet the target.
1: This is that any building that emits over a certain amount of CO2 per year has to fully account for it, right? Yeah,
2: hospital buildings are included. So they are not currently in the platform now, but they have the agenda, they have scheduled to join, and they are required to do their accounting. So that workshop has one part about training the hospital engineers to calculate their carbon emission.
1: Before we end, I was hoping we could hear a little bit about what it was like to start your own environmental think tank in China, because, you know, I think a lot of people, they think I want to work on environmental issues. You think first you're going to go join whatever existing organizations are already out there. You had already worked at a, a range of different organizations. Why did you feel the need to start your own organization?
2: My first job with an environment group was in Green Earth Volunteers. It's a grassroots level, very important for my work and also understanding the environment movement. That was probably one of the best memories in my career development. But after that, I realized if you really want to get close to the policy making, get close to the issue themselves, you have to build up your capacity. You have to build up your international perspective. For most environmental issues, you have to have global thinking many things are connected. So I decided to move from a local to an international group, Greenpeace. After working there, I think we have kind of ecosystem about environmental movement and the campaign group and policy advocacy and industries. But we do need to have some very different uh, player like think tank. We know some good think tanks from other countries. Well the my personal favorite think tanks is resources for future. I think it's quite good a think tank uh consisting of many academics and environmental economics and other professionals. I think in China back at that time there was not really very independent think tanks focusing on environment and energy issues. So I think okay, maybe we can try and to do that. So, when I finished my education abroad and moved back to Beijing, I said, okay, maybe I will try this because that was my commitment to myself. So, back to 2011, I did my first effort to organize a, a small group because I told myself it's not one person a game. I need to find a partner. So, I talked to my friends who finally become my Two partners in 2011, and they said this they, is they, Ma Dao and, da and Lin, Lin Jiaqiao. Yeah. They told me they were not ready. <laughs> <laughs> I was okay. I told to myself, okay, you're not, re- not ready. It's time for me to try it by myself. I said no. Maybe I need to be patient. So I wait a year more. In meantime, I went to work with a wind power company for a very short period of time. So. Back to 2012, in the first quarter of the year, I discussed my idea with them again. It seems that timing has come. (laughs) Timing was right. So we decided to work together to build up a small think tank. So I think when we look back to that move, I think I was lucky because without the other two assistance and uh, support, I don't think REI can become REI today. And uh, this kind of philosophy, you have to really trust people, build up connection and relationship from the beginning, and uh, make sure your group are diverse. are very, very important to be a sustainable group. So that's what I learned from the past five years, and also what I want to share sometime with my friends.
1: Very last we every episode, we ask our guests if there's any one person in particular that's inspired their work. Zhang, is there anyone in particular who you see as a hero in the environmental field or who's influenced the way you work? I want to
2: definitely want to see one person who is my mom. Uh, the reason I want to talk about her is that in my personality, autonomy is quite a prioritized principle for myself. And gradually, in the past few years, I had more connection with my mom, who is living in my hometown, Shanxi province. And I have seen some similar personality from her. And I can tell she had given me very strong influence. I didn't realize in beginning of my career, but gradually I just found out, oh, it's from my mom. (laughs) So if I see something support me to do something continually, I think it's from my mom's encouragement. She doesn't talk about encouragement in speaking, but from her behavior, from her action, from her connection with me, I can tell this kind of personality is definitely from my mom. So if I say (laughs) who helped me a lot, I think it's my mom.
1: (laughs) I think that's a great way to end with a thank you to all the mothers. We owe it all to them. And thank you, John, for joining us today. Thank you very much. It's really my pleasure.